The following is sponsored by Reformation Heritage Books, online at heritagebooks.org. Learn more at the conclusion of today's podcast. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. The blessedness of that covenant of grace far exceeds even the blessings of the clarity of the revelation and the covenant of works by delivering man through the active and passive obedience of Christ who delivers his people to life everlasting. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my good friend, James Dolezal. James, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's good to be here with you. Well, it is. It's good to be back, and it's also uh, a special joy to welcome our guest today. Stephen Myers is Professor of Systematic and Historical Theology for the PhD program at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, and he has just written a book, or not just written, it's been out for some time, but um, but it's just come across our radar in the last six months or so, Covenant Theology and Scripture. It's, it's entitled God to Us, and so it's on Covenant Theology. So, Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you all very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And I said this right before we um, got on the air, but uh, I want to say it so that all our listeners can hear. This has really become the book on covenant theology that I recommend first to people. I think it's really outstanding. We want to commend it to our um, listeners. But by way of introducing it to them, I want to use a, a, a quote that comes at the beginning of the book where you say this, to attain to the greatest heights of the knowledge of God of which we are capable, we must understand him and know him as the God of the covenant. Why is that, that to attain the greatest heights of the knowledge of God, we have to know him as the God of the covenant? Yes, well, that's a, 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 a big claim of the book. Uh, it's, it's a big claim of covenant theology more largely. But the, our, our understanding is that as God has approached us, so we know him best through that same relationship, through that, through that same means of communication. And as we look in the scripture, we see both prior to the fall and God's relationship with Adam, and then after the fall and his relationship with his people, he is always approaching them through the means of covenant. And since God is always approaching his people, revealing himself to them through the covenant, it is by that same covenant that we know him best. We see him most clearly. We discern what he's doing, why he's doing it most clearly. Uh, we're, we're wanting to understand God in accordance with his revelation of himself to us. And since that's been a covenantal relationship, a covenantal knowledge is the, the fullest knowledge that we can have of him. So, what is a covenant? And I know, that, I mean, this is a children's catechism question, but it's also sort of the um, what's your book about question, uh, so we can do both. But maybe maybe in condensed form, what is a covenant and how does it, how is it uniquely suited to help us know and enjoy God? Well, it, it is uh, sort of a catechism question. And oftentimes, it seems the catechism questions, if you think on them, are some of them the most difficult ones. Uh, but uh, and and the the definition of a covenant is something that uh, gets a good bit of discussion and debate, and it, it is very important. What what you how you understand covenant theology really, in large measure, comes down to what you understand a covenant to be. And in my understanding, which I, I 
I think is coming from the scriptures. Uh, a covenant is a relationship between parties, a binding relationship between parties that involves both blessings and obligations. And so when we conceive of our covenantal relationship with God, uh, it's, it's always through the lens of and in terms of this sort of binding relationship that involves both blessings and obligations. And the, the, the reason that that uh, is so foundational for our knowledge of God, not to uh, repeat myself from before, but just simply that since that's the way that he has chosen to reveal himself to us, uh, so we know him best through it. Uh, particularly when we're dealing in uh, the covenant of grace. Um, it's the terms and conditions, the blessings, the obligations that are part of the covenant that that show us how we are to interact with our covenant Lord, how we are to be his people. Um, there's a pretty foundational scripture passage in Deuteronomy chapter 29, uh, verses 12 and 13. I'll, I'll just read that for us quickly. Uh, Israel, of course, here is assembled on the plains of Moab, about to cross into the land of promise. Uh, and uh, God is calling them uh, to covenant faithfulness to him. And he says, this is again in Deuteronomy 29, verse 12, that thou shouldst enter into covenant with the Lord thy God and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God as he hath said unto thee, and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So it is by means of this covenant that God is being God to his people, and through that covenant that he is shaping and forming them into his people. And so as we come to understand the covenant of grace, we understand more both about who God is, what he's done, and also the sort of people he's shaping his people to be, both individuals and as a, as a corporate body. Now, the covenant of grace is unfolded in various biblical covenants, and that's that might be familiar ground for some of our listeners, but I'm guessing for a lot of our listeners, that's still unfamiliar ground. So how does this overarching covenant of grace connect with the biblical covenants we see in scripture? So we see God you know, make a covenant with Noah and God make a covenant with Abraham and God make a covenant with Moses and, and on and on it goes. But how do those parts relate to the whole? How would you, how would you articulate that? That's an excellent question. Um, and one that, uh, really needs, needs to be, be clarified, uh, in, in the covenant of grace, we have what, what I would call God's eternal purpose to gather a people to himself through covenantal relationship. And that covenant comes to historical expression in what we oftentimes refer to as historical administrations or historical covenants. So you would have the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses and Israel through Moses. And then we have the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. And all of these are seen as being ways in which God is progressively revealing his overarching purpose in the covenant of grace and also continually moving forward his work of redemption so that God's covenant of grace people, so to speak, uh, in different eras of the scripture uh, might be under one of these different covenantal administrations you know, under the Mosaic covenant, under the Davidic covenant, under the new covenant. But it all is the, the particular expression of the covenant of grace at that time. And so th this is God's overarching purpose uh, to gather his people to himself and be God to them. 
So is there in the covenant then, is there a, because I think of how natural theology knows God and knows God through the things that are made and invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature, but there's something in the covenantal knowledge that exceeds that in terms of, uh, maybe this goes to the blessing side uh, that you mentioned of what is the blessing of covenant? I mean, to, to know God through natural theology is a blessing, but it's it's not the blessing of the knowledge of God through covenant. Um, and, and between those two lies, we could say heaven and hell um, on either side. Um, so what is that? What particularly does covenant as a mechanism, I guess that's a way to think of it, do to benefit us? The main blessing of, of the covenantal relationship in that respect is the clarity with which God reveals himself in the covenant. And so, for example, in the creation, we see God certainly via natural theology, as you mentioned, revealing himself in the grandeur of what has been made, revealing himself even in the, the divine image in which he makes mankind. You know, all of these ways in which God is giving a certain and an important knowledge of himself. And yet it's in speaking to Adam, uh, calling him to obedience to the creation ordinances, you know, the ordinance of marriage, procreation, Sabbath observance, all these, as well as the prohibition on eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's in that more direct verbal communication that God is making his will most clearly known to Adam and also subsequent to that, telling Adam how he is to live as God's image bearer. So not just uh, not just revealing himself to man, but also telling man something about who he as man is as the divine image bearer. So it is that clarity of revelation that is the blessing of the covenant. And then when we when we think in terms of the covenant of grace, then the, the great blessing of it is that it, it delivers mankind out from under the burden of the covenant of works, the curse of the covenant of works. So the, the, the blessedness of that covenant of grace just far exceeds even the blessings of the clarity of the revelation in the covenant of works by delivering man through the active and passive obedience of Christ who delivers his people to life everlasting, the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenantal purpose. Stephen, one of the covenants that um, often either gets the least attention or creates the most confusion is the covenant that God makes with Noah. And it seems like one of the reasons for that is because it applies to everyone. And, and you talked about the unfolding of God's covenant of grace in order to redeem this people for himself through covenant. But but the covenant with Noah applies to everyone. Now, I, I found your treatment of that in this book to be outstanding. Again, one of the one of the real uh, contributions I thought. And so I wonder if you could just very briefly explain what's the significance of the covenant with Noah in terms of the outworking of the covenant of grace, because it's not specifically aimed at at a particular people. An, an excellent question. The, the Noahic covenant is one that has traditionally been. Uh, d difficult to, to understand alongside some covenant of grace principles. Uh, to back up just a little bit, you know, we, we see in, in the covenant of works, the curse coming upon mankind because of Adam's transgression. But then in Genesis chapter three at verse 15, as, as God is essentially telling Adam, Eve, and the serpent what the curse is going to mean in their lives, kind of the, the, what, what the curse is going to be, he makes this promise in Genesis 3.15 that he will send a seed who will destroy the deceiver, will, will crush the head of the serpent. And that is that 
seed promise that becomes really the, the, the core of God's covenant promise to his people. As, as, as you're reading in the scripture, as you go past Genesis 3.15, you get into Genesis 4, Genesis 5, especially the beginning of Genesis 6, you know, th- things are not going well uh, to the human eye. Uh, it appears that God is either unable or unwilling to keep his covenant promise. There doesn't seem to be this bringing out of the seed of the woman uh, through whom God will destroy the, the seed of the serpent. But then what we see in God's covenant with Noah or the Noahic covenant is God making clear on the page of history that he is able to bring his covenantal purposes to pass right now. Uh, he's able to bring the world into judgment as he does in the flood. He's able to deliver his people as he does Noah and then Noah's family with him. Uh, he's able right now to fulfill his covenant purposes, but he's allowing time to proceed because he has an even larger purpose. He has a greater people whom he is gathering to himself. And so the, the, the contribution, in a sense, of the Noahic covenant to an overall understanding of the covenant of grace is that God has this enduring certain covenantal purpose, the accomplishment of which is the reason why the world continues in existence. And when God's appointed time has been reached, this world will pass away and we will enter into the glories that have been secured by, by our mediator, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the covenant of grace. So that, that's the great peace that uh, that the Noahic covenant plays in an understanding of the covenant of grace. It's, it's the way you see Jesus uh, referring to uh, Noah and the flood, the way we find Peter referring to it in his epistles. So, you know, this is the, this is the lesson that's being communicated by the Noahic covenant. God's purposes, his covenantal purposes are certain and secure, and any delay in their historical outworking is because God is working to gather a people to himself, change their hearts, and then his, the consummation of the covenant of grace will come. Now that ends up, particularly as you see in the, the flood, it ends up drawing in all of the created order. Uh, the, uh, you know, everything is destroyed besides Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. And then afterward, God speaks of this covenant being with with all of creation, with the birds of the air and the fishes, see these things. And what we see there is in kind of condensed form, uh, a snapshot of the whole of the covenant of grace. Uh, God has in the covenant of grace, both a universal and a particular covenant. Uh, It's universal in the fact that it affects everything. There is nothing in created reality that isn't affected by what God is doing in the covenant of grace. But that universally important covenant is for the redemption of a particular people. But the fact that it is focused on and intended for the redemption of a particular people doesn't change the fact that it is universal in its implications. And so as God's great covenantal work draws to a close, everything is affected. All of created reality is affected, as it will be at the judgment And yet that is all being accomplished for the redemption of a particular people. And in that way, we get something of a foreshadowing of the last great judgment in the flood, where a uh, particular covenant, a covenant for a particular people, is having universal implications. All the world being preserved while the elect are gathered in, and and then all the world being brought into judgment 
uh, because of the, the curse from the covenant of works. So in that way, we, we see you know, all the aspects of the Noahic covenant uh, really making it what it oftentimes is used as in the New Testament, as a, as a picture of what is to come when God's great covenantal purposes are accomplished at that last great day. So it's a picture of the scope of God's redemptive purposes and also a precondition in a sense for them to be worked out because his patience is plays out as the backdrop against which redemption occurs. You put it better than that in. No, I, I don't <laughs> I don't think that's true, but I'm, I'm just trying to put a finer point on it, but that that that's that's great. And again, I I, I that section of the book I thought was was just just outstanding. And I think maybe just, I'll just throw this in because I know we're, we're heading toward a wrap up, but I just want to say, it seems like by giving such uh, attention to the individual covenants, rather, you know, the, I think that the temptation might be to flatten everything with the covenant of grace, but to see a kind of stratification and maybe to use a different metaphor, um, progression within the revelation of the covenant of grace is one of the features of your book. I mean, represented by the different chapters and, and what you focus on, but would you say that those are two ways to think about it, that, that within the covenant of grace, there's stratification and also progression and development? Is that a way to think of it? Yeah, I think it's, it's a very helpful category to, th- to think in terms of progression. And God, he, he has an eternal, unchanging purpose, and he is progressively revealing it to his people, uh, progressively moving toward the full accomplishment of, of that purpose. The there can be something of a caricature of covenant theology that if you if you hold to a covenant of grace, then you do end up almost necessarily having to flatten uh, the distinctions between the individual covenants. And I, I, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's right. I think if, if we understand God having an eternal purpose and in the scripture, we see uh, this development whereby the faith of his people becomes deeper, it's more textured, it's more specific, as God is progressively revealing more and more to them about what character the redemption he's going to bring has, you know, what kind of people he wants his people to be, who is this one in whom salvation is to be had. Uh, there's this deepening uh, revelation as you proceed through the covenant of grace that is a, a unified revelation. It's all part of the covenant of grace. And yet there, there is this very particular development as you go that, I, that I, I think if, if, if we're, if we're reading scripture carefully, uh, we're able to affirm both. There is an overarching covenant of grace. And yet there is this progression from one covenant to the next. And in fact, that's the purpose of the individual administrations. As I say, I mean, if, if there's no progression from say the Mosaic covenant to the Davidic covenant, then What's the purpose of the different covenants? <laughs> there, there, there is progression as you move, but it's all progression under the one overarching covenant of grace. Stephen, we're out of time, but thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time today, and especially thank you for your labor in this uh, in this volume. God to us, covenant theology in Scripture. Stephen Myers, thanks for joining us. Thank you all very much for having me. Well, James, oftentimes when we have these kinds of interviews, we, uh, we, you know, we always have at least some degree of interest in the book, some degree of commendation for the book. But um, this is a book that I've read through a few times and, and sections of it, even more than that, the Noahic Covenant section, even more than that. And I really do commend it to our uh, listeners. I would say that it, it's a book that if you're just interested in studying the Bible and and thinking about these 
covenants in scripture. The chapters are divided up in such a way that you can just take it covenant by covenant and read what uh, what uh, Dr. Myers has to say. And it's it's he's a clear writer. It's ex it's exegetically based. It's not he does interact with historical sources, but it's not really a historical theology. It's it's Bible teaching on the covenants. And so uh, really want to uh, commend this to our listeners. And I think as you drew out in, in our conversation, this does have significant bearing on how we understand the Lord as he's revealed himself in scripture. Yeah. That just, uh, because there's a true knowledge of God that isn't covenantal, but it doesn't bind us to him. I thought, and Stephen early in the book deals with Westminster confession uh, seven uh, section one, where it speaks about us in our natural knowledge of God, not having any way to have him as our fruition and reward. And there's a sense in which God, and I like the title of his book, God to us. You think, well, isn't he God to everyone? He's the maker of all things. But in that special way in which he binds himself to us as our fruition and reward, that is through that mechanism of covenant. I think that's a, a precious thing that is unfolded in this book. And I, was, I wanted to say one thing about the historical note, because Stephen's you know, day job, his specialty is, an, is as an historical theologian. I think he does a good job of that as well, bringing out uh, covenant theology, not only in the Reformed tradition, but he would argue that you can see the substance of it, even if not the name of it, uh, in earlier, in the New Testament itself and in the Fathers, Medievals, and uh, all that kind of pre-Reformational literature. Yeah. Uh, and I also think he does a good job showing that the Reformed tradition itself is not a, um, is not a purely homogenous entity. Sometimes we talk about covenant theology as if covenant theologians themselves do not stake out sometimes competing positions. I think of like the great debate in the OPC between Meredith Klein and John Murray, uh, and then kind of the mediating position later of O. Palmer Robertson. And th that texture and even disagreement is not glossed over in this book. I think he, in a very respectful way, uh, engages and stakes out a position within that. So I think it, it adds value in that uh, way as well. Well, I agree with all of that, and we'd commend it to our listeners, God to Us by Stephen G. Myers. It's published by our friends at RHB, and because they are such good friends, they've given us a few books that we can pass along to you. If you go to the uh, placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, there will be a, a, a spot there for you to enter your name and contact information for the chance to win a copy of God to Us by Stephen Myers. And if you don't win that, you can get it from RHB or other places where books are sold. God to us, covenant theology in scripture. Uh, as always, we're grateful for all of our listeners. Please send in uh, questions, uh, ideas for interviews. We love hearing from you. If you know someone who might be helped by this podcast, please pass it along to them. If there's a way for you to rate and review the podcast, wherever it is that you're listening, please do that. That helps us get the word out. And if you are able to donate, we are only able to do this because of donors like you. And so you can do that at uh, placefortruth.org and also uh, alliancenet.org. There's a donate button at the top of each. And as always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Reformation Heritage Books is a publisher and bookseller whose mission it is to equip the saints to serve Christ and His Church through biblical, experiential, and practical resources. 
Reformation Heritage Books reading material is God-glorifying and in accord with Scripture and historic Reformed creeds for the promotion and defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each book published or sold, whether from the Puritans or modern-day authors, subscribes to the three forms of unity, that is, the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort, as well as the Westminster Standards. To learn more and to browse the impressive inventory of available resources from trusted Reformed writers, visit heritagebooks.org.